Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today we're going to talk about apologizing. And in this podcast, we'll discuss the theme of standing by your statements and convictions that are dear to you. Today we'll lead off with Ezekiel 2, verses 1 through 5. And as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today. And we'll put those in the overview. And with the backdrop of apologizing as our main theme today, let's just dig right in. Yes, there's a famous line, which we're going to discuss in just a, a moment. Don't apologize. It's a sign of weakness. The current event is, uh, we, we could use Andrew Yang as an example, but there's so many others who have done the following pattern. You defend somebody, you supposedly do it with conviction, you get intimidated by people normally on the left side, and you come back and you apologize and change everything. Mm. All right, let's take a look at Mr. Yang. He was a presidential candidate just a few years ago, ran, and uh, he apologizes after being bullied into apologizing. This is from an article by Nadine Saad, February 7th of this year. And here is the quote uh, from that article. The politician defended Rogan, who he said was out of context, Sunday by tweeting, I don't think Joe Rogan is a racist. The man interacts, interacts and works with black people literally all the time. In fact, earlier in 2019, he had said, do I know black friends of Joe's who would swear by him? Yes, I do. Yang said he deleted the tweet because it was wrong-headed. Mm. Quote, Yang also said, quote, it also hurt people, which is never my intent. I'm sorry. I'm learning and appreciate those who reached out to express their feelings. Mm. Andrew Yang's apology was wrong-headed, therefore my conclusion, and he hurt people. Most of us have probably heard about the controversy around Joe Rogan. Well, either the original conviction of Yang was on mark or it wasn't. So what, what is Mr. Yang's problem? Either he didn't think it through, mm -hmm. which he should have, which is a sign of weakness, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, he didn't stand by a conviction that he knows is true, which is even worse. Yeah, that's even worse. So what is the problem? If uh, there's any fans out there who listen to our podcast of NCIS, <laughs> Leroy Gibbs, rule number six, never say you're sorry. It's a sign of weakness. Now, what's interesting about this is I researched it, in fact, preached a sermon on it many years ago, is that if you're a fan of John Wayne, which, Randy, you're a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan. There's a classic Western of his called She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, and he plays a character named Captain Brittles. And in this film... There's a, uh, as YouTube calls it, there's a problem with this scene. Yeah, okay, we'll see. Um, first of all, let me give you a um, quote from a Forbes article. This was written by someone for Forbes, uh, fourth uh, on the 3rd of uh, the 19th, 2019, April 3rd, 2019. And the title of the article is What John Wayne Got Wrong About Apologizing. And his conclusion is, Owning a mistake, therefore, is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Now, that's from Forbes. Mm -hmm. So he critiqued John Wayne character and said, oh, he's, that's wrong. That shouldn't have been in the picture. That's bad. So, of course, the quote is, don't apologize. It's a sign of weakness. The scene is this. You're at a fort. A buckboard rides up to the fort doors to get 
uh, permission to go outside the fort. It's a young lieutenant with a young lady. The young lieutenant's name is uh, Lieutenant Pinnell, and the lady is Miss Standridge. So they come up. The officer of the day stops him and says, you can't go off the post. Well, the young lady is really upset because I guess they got issues between herself and this particular officer uh, who she turned down for a picnic because that's what this is all about. And Lieutenant Pinnell wants to do that. And so they're arguing back and forth. And then Captain Brittles, a.k.a. John Wayne, comes on the scene and he's interviews and says, what's going on here? What's happening? He talks to Mrs. Um, Dandridge and says, uh, what's, uh, what's the problem here? What's going on? And so finally he turns to um, Lieutenant Pinnell, who's in the buckboard with the young lady. And he says, um, so what's the, uh, why do you want to go off post? And Lieutenant Pinnell says, uh, with a calm assertion, picnicking, sir. <laughs> and Brittle says, picnicking? And then Pinnell says, uh, just going to the waterfall. I'm sorry. And Brittle says, don't apologize, mister. It's a sign of weakness. Of course, here's the rest of the scene. Captain Brittles then says, well, to the officer of the day, I see no reason why he can't go picnicking. So they open the door, but he gets the girl, pulls the girl off the, st off the buckboard <laughs> and tells Lieutenant Pinnell, okay, go picnicking. Yeah. All right. Um, Mr. <clears throat> so that's, that's the, in, sh in short, that's the scene. Uh, he starts off with a calm assertion, which actually can be a very deep conviction, picnicking, sir. And within a, less than a minute, he's going, uh, we were just going to the waterfall. I'm sorry. Yeah. So either he hadn't thought this through or he had, and he wasn't standing by his conviction that he knew was okay. Um, Mr. Pinnell, sorry, was a feeble attempt to explain something he clearly hadn't thought through. As Captain Brill saw it, he was showing his lack of the courage of his conviction. And the idea of saying, don't apologize, it's a sign of weakness from Captain Brittle's mouth is sarcasm. Because he <laughs> says, you're weak. Either you haven't thought this through yeah. and you're weak, or you thought it through and you really thought it was a great idea. Now you back down, even in front of this girl you want to impress. So you're a mess. You're weak. And it's sarcasm. He's mocking him. Yeah. It's not about the normal, normal kind of apologizing. So the guy who wrote this article in Forbes apparently doesn't get, doesn't how, get that. how movie scripts work. Yeah. In other words... When he was confronted, Lieutenant Pinnell, by Captain Brittles, he folded, going from conviction to sorry, uh, just like Mr. Yang and so many others we've seen in our current events over the past couple, three years. Now, what's the Christian expectation? When we give a witness with conviction, make sure it's conviction, and if that's the case, we won't give in to intimidation. Mm. Because we live now in those kinds of times when making Christian assertions are going to be met by people who want to intimidate and bully you mm. and make you apologize because then it makes you look really weak. <laughs> yeah. You see? So don't apologize. It's a sign of weakness. We had a response to one of our podcasts that wasn't very favorable that, uh, you know, was uh, calling us out for several things. Oh, too. yes. So, yeah. 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 As I recall, we didn't apologize. We did not. No. <laughs> Here is a uh, quote to get us started on a, on a light note. From Groucho Marx, it was a it's a saying that I think was around before Groucho, but he made it famous. And uh, I've done a study in my times past on Groucho. I love his uh, his quotes and comments. Listen to this. Imagine him before a group of people, and he says, "Gentlemen, those are my principles, and if you don't like them, I have other principles." <laughs> <laughs> That's what we don't want to get into as Christians. 
There is great value in not caving. One of my favorite examples of this is from Ezekiel chapter 2. Randy's going to read the first five verses. Listen to this. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Yes, a prophet who doesn't waver, who doesn't apologize, who's gone uh, with the Spirit of God in him. And uh, what I love is the line, whether they listen or not, they will know that a prophet has spoken. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to be, the church of Jesus in these times. Make a witness, strong conviction. And whether people will say amen or say drop dead, we want to be sure that they have heard that this is something more than just an opinion. Mm -hmm. They've known that a prophet has spoken. Here's a great example from history with uh, Martin Luther. Uh, Everyone's familiar usually with his 95 theses he put on the, the church door at Wittenberg. Uh, His writings, of course, get attention all over Germany, and he's been called to account by uh, the church, and he's being interrogated at the place called Diet of Worms. Actually, when I first heard that as a young kid, I thought it was some guy eating worms. It means the assembly at Worms, Germany. All the great... Worms, not worms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, They were going to interrogate him, the hierarchy of the uh, Catholic Church of that day. And here is the last part of his defense, which, according to the people who were there, was calm and deliberate. Now, that's important, so listen to this. Quote, and let me back up a little bit here. They're trying to get him to recant, Mm -hmm. to say, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry. Okay, here's the very end of that long defense of his. Quote, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures and by clear reason... For I do not trust in the Pope or councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Well, there seems to have been a break then at that point in the assembly, and uh, There are some historians who are not sure about the following statement, but we'll look at it. Things calm down. And then he says, one more time, Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Now, did Luther actually say this? Most historians say yes. The people who were recording this uh, broke it off because they were... That was like a dramatic end, although he was calm and deliberate. You know, it was clear. He's not going to recant. What is this assembly going to do? This man is is solid. Um, And then he comes back and feels compelled to say this, Here I Stand, and that is the title of uh, the book, which was in my day the standard biography of Martin Luther, written by a man named Roland Bainton, B-A-I-N-T-O-N, Bainton, Banton, and um, Here I Stand. And he believes that Luther said it. Uh, Luther had the courage of his convictions. But there's a spiritual psychology to this which we need to uh, appreciate. Because when we say, you know, don't apologize, it's a sign of weakness, stand by your convictions, 
we're not talking about people foaming at the mouth necessarily, mm. uh, or fire come out your ears or whatever. Here is a great quote from uh, uh, Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton. Quote, there is therefore about a complete conviction, a huge kind of helplessness. I like that. In other words, what he's saying is you feel helpless, but you're not going to change. Yeah. It's like, this is what I believe. What, what do you want me to do? I, I can't yeah. change. It's it like, just listen, is. It is what it is. It, that's right. Yeah. It's right. So uh, Mr. Chesterton has a great quote there. Um, notice uh, Luther doesn't say, here I stand. I can't do otherwise. I'm sorry. He says, God help me because I'm not going to change. I don't know. Whatever happens now happens, but God help me. Whatever it leads to. Yes. Um, and this is important because right now Christians are uh, in a place of being seemingly insignificant to the culture at large. Well, we can go to Amos, a prophet, who was accused of just that, so we can learn how not to be intimidated and how to respond. Rain is going to read from Amos 7, verses 10 through 17. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it's the king's sanctuary, and it's the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line, and you yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. It's one of the great passages in the prophets of the Old Testament mm. of someone standing their ground and coming right back at Amaziah. Uh, notice the intimidation factor. Amaziah says, listen, we got our own stuff up here. You're coming up here. Uh, you're not wanted. No one called for you to be up here. Uh, you want to make bread being a prophet? Go back down south where you belong and earn your bread down there. Yeah. We, we don't want anything to do with you. And then, instead of uh, not being intimidated, but in fact being uh, convicted of the word of God, the next thing he does is, is then I listen. You know, you say, oh, I should leave this place. But hey, I, I once left that place already because I was just a guy who did sycamore trees and had yeah. a flock, just a shepherd. But God came to me and spoke to me and said, go talk to my people Israel, give them the word of God. And so that's why I'm here. So he said, I have humble origins, but I'm not going to be intimidated because I know the conviction of my heart. God has brought me to this place. And then, then he begins on what I call a roll. <laughs> he says, you say to me, shut up. Well, I say to you, hear the word of the Lord. Here's what's going to happen. Your wife's going to become a prostitute. Your children will die in this place. Uh, the land will certainly be taken over. 
you will die in an unclean situation in a Gentile land, and Israel will go into exile. It's like a crescendo of five hammer blows yeah. that he gives. So instead of apologizing, which he doesn't do, it's, it's profound that he just comes back, boom, 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 and lets him, as I know, this is what's going to happen. Mm. It's so important. Here's a quote from, maybe some of our listeners know this man. He's been gone for some time. Bishop Fulton J. Sheen. He was a well-known Catholic uh, priest, bishop in this case, uh, back in the 50s. He had a program on television, one of the earliest ones ever, 1951 to 1957, called Life is Worth Living. Mm. I used to watch that with my mom and dad. It came on Tuesday evenings, and we would start watching it, and uh, it's old black and white, but he had a blackboard, and he'd be up there in his regalia, his you know robes and his hat and all that that goes with his state of office in the church. And excellent speaker, spoke on topics of uh, Christian truth and all the values that are in Christian truth and the stories of the Bible. And... Uh, Got an Emmy, was the first person ever to get an Emmy for that kind of a program. That's great. The, yeah, absolutely. And uh, at various times, had some 30 million people beat out Melton Burrell and all that. So, And the guy was, I mean, I was a kid. I listened to him. Half the stuff I did not understand, yeah. but he captivated me. He just had a way of speaking. Listen to this quote from Bishop Sheen. The refusal to take sides on great moral issues is itself a decision. It is a silent acquiescence to evil. The tragedy of our time, listen to this, 1950s. The tragedy of our time is that those who still believe in honesty lack fire and conviction, mm. our key word here, while those who believe in dishonesty are full of, <laughs> of passionate conviction. Mm. And boy, if that was true then in the 50s, how is ever true now? Yeah, 70 years ago that was spoken. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jesus doesn't apologize and even states the reason why he won't apologize. In Matthew 15, Jesus uh, is again discoursing with his enemies, the Pharisees, and the Pharisees jump on him. Why didn't your disciples wash their hands before they came in here to be with us? And he says, oh, well, why do you, with your traditions, break the word of God? I think that's a bigger problem, yeah. Pharisees. Uh, you've got these traditions that take away honor thy father and mother, so they don't have to. And uh, Isaiah prophesied about you people. You're going to be hypocrites, and surely you are. And then he goes on to say, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Okay, now Rand's going to read to us the response of the disciples and Jesus' response to the disciples about their response to the Pharisees. <laughs> Matthew 15, 12 through 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees are offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. There you go. Not only am I not concerned about having offended them, if you stick with those guys, you're going to be in a pit. Hmm. You're going to be blind like them. Hmm. What is so interesting here is the disciples say, Listen, you hurt their feelings. Yeah. Don't you know that? They are more concerned for the Pharisees and their feelings than for the radical truth that Jesus just taught. We see that so much, don't we? Where, yeah. where people just uh, cave because you made me feel bad. And it's yeah. like, good, you should feel bad. <laughs> you should feel bad yeah. about that. Um, Jesus does not only not apologize, uh, he also excoriates them as weeds to be pulled up and blind guides and all of them, both the leaders and the followers, are headed for a pit. Um, the Psalms and the Proverbs 
uh, have a lot to say about this pit business. We need to pay attention to this. This is Psalm 57, verses 5 through 6. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. A good picture of the Pharisees confronting Jesus, trying to get him to fall into a pit when they mm-hmm. confront him about disciples. And Jesus says, well, they're going to the ones that's going into a pit because he stood his ground by his convictions. Um, here's a good quote from Howard G. Hendricks. I believe he's passed on now. He was good back in the 60s and 70s, books uh, young preachers would buy, his books on homiletics and how to preach and things of that sort. His quote is this, a belief is something you will argue about. A conviction is something you will die for. Mm. So that's a good way to keep these. I mean, it's good to argue about beliefs, but when it all comes down to it, as somebody asked me in a Sunday school class just this past week, what is the, what's, what's the minimum we got to hold on to? Mm. In other words, what is it that we need to have such a conviction about? This we will die for. And it's a good thing to go through your mind and say, whoa, 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 what is that? Well, let's take another look at Jesus uh, confronted again in, on a Sabbath day in a synagogue by the Pharisees, the leaders. And this is always, since I first discovered it and studied it, has been such an illuminating passage about how Jesus, his mindset is so much different from ours and certainly from the people who ran the synagogue. This is from Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which we ought to work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord said and answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. All right, they're put to shame, and there's no follow about Jesus going and apologizing no. for having put them into shame. Let's look at it from the leader of the synagogue, his viewpoint. It sounds reasonable. We don't want this service interrupted by you coming in here and doing this stuff, Jesus. And you got six days out of the week in which you can do all the healing you want. Just give us this one day. Yeah. And Jesus' response is radical. His response basically is, I'm here today, I see your problem, and she doesn't need to suffer one more day. She's already suffered enough. Yeah. So today, she gets released from her, from her bondage. And so he goes ahead in defiance of the leader and does what's right. And as so often the case, when you follow those great convictions of God, you will get people who will say, amen, amen, and begin to rethink about the Lord and our relationship to him and things of that sort. Here's a quote from uh, a fellow named Jim Goble. We don't need permission to do what God has already granted. <laughs> <laughs> I like that quote. You like that quote? I like that quote. Yeah. How do I know that? Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 33. And when they had brought them in, 
They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Okay, so the convictions of Peter and the other apostles there, excuse me, uh, were deep, deep rooted. And this often brings forth a hateful response. In fact, as you see, they were ready to uh, kill them, find ways to end their lives. We must obey God mm. rather than men. And in our country, we are approaching that. So we need to indeed have our convictions and make sure where we stand. Uh, Christians that we are must stand firm in the good fight of faith. Here's an interesting passage, which again, puts these things in a paradoxical uh, arrangement, uh, each informing the other. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Amen. Um, be gentle was the last word before he says, fight the good fight. Yeah. Be gentle, fight the good fight. Yeah. So those things can, you know, dwell with each other. At times, of course, it helps to be really assertive. It helps to really um, speak the conviction with a resounding conviction. Absolutely. Um, our stand is all important. And in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about putting on the spiritual equipment, you know, the helmet and the chest protector and all those things. And at least three times he says, and take your stand. Mm-hmm. And having armed yourself, stand. Don't concede ground. Yeah. Stand. That's the idea. Don't concede anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. And the spiritual battle we have right now in this culture uh, is uh, you know, the dark side trying to move in to make us not take that stand. We must unapologetically stand unified. Here is an interesting passage, and I'll show you why in just a minute. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For... It was been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Yes, um, conflict, uh, destruction, Mm. all about being true to the gospel, to be worthy of the gospel, to stand for the truth of the gospel. These are the things, not peripheral issues, these are the things which really matter. Here's a quote from Winston Churchill. Do you have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something (laughs) sometime in your life. (laughs) So what do we get from this this passage here? 
It is that we got to be unified, that we got to work together, that we've got to face our enemies and stand our ground to show we're worthy of the gospel, and that will be salvation for us, but destruction for them. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. That Paul says that. How does this work out in a Christian life? Here's a good passage, the very next chapter, Philippians 2, uh, verse 25a. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Yes, it's one thing to be brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, Next step is to be workers together in the Lord. But the third thing is always, given the times, even there in Philippi 2,000 years ago, we need to be fellow soldiers in the war and have that camaraderie where we are striving side by side, moving out uh, against the forces of death and darkness. Now, how do we know that, that we're moving out against the forces of death and darkness? Here's a passage from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Uh, I'm going to read it. Uh, Randy's going to read it from the Christian Standard Bible. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because Mm -hmm. flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. A lot of translations still have help, although they'll give you a footnote say the word really is Hades. Mm-hmm. Place of death, mm-hmm. uh, Sheol in the Old Testament, and becomes in the, with the Greek language, of course, Hades in the New Testament, place of death. But notice the image that Jesus uses is the church on the move coming up to the gates of hell to take hold of those gates and to overcome the gates and break the, the, the forces of death storming the gates of death. Mm. And for that to happen, you've got to have convictions. As we used to say back back in my day, uh, you've got to have the courage of your convictions. You don't A phrase you don't hear too much now. No. Very siege-like, that imagery. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, an army on the move right. to conquer a fortified place. Right. Uh, there's a tand- uh, time to take our stand. Uh, the other part of that is there's a time to approach the storms of uh, the gates of death, to storm the gates of death and um, break them, destroy them. So, going back to that passage in Philippians 1, don't be frightened in anything, Paul says, as you heard Randy read, by your opponents. We're in a fight. Uh, and some Christians don't realize that we, we are in a fight. And this is not like Fight Club. Uh, What's the first rule of Fight Club? You don't talk about you, Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> well... In Christian Fight Club, the first rule is you do talk about it. You talk about it to each other. You encourage each other. We've got to be side by side. We've got to have camaraderie. We are brothers. We are workers. We are soldiers. We need to remind ourselves we're in a fight, and we will fight with no apologies offered. Now, current with this, and of course, doing these podcasts on current events, it's hard to keep up with current events. (laughs) Things happen, and by the time we get something... We're going to work on something else is broken, which is also has to be addressed. At this present time, we've got the uh, the truck convoy up in Canada. Yeah. And if you follow the news, you know what's going on up there, how the um, 
Mr. Trudeau has uh, been very draconian and shut everything down, even though it was a peaceful demonstration as far as I can see. Listen to this. This is from a World Nut Daily article, February 22nd of this year. Dozens of members of the Canadian clergy have written an open letter to Justin Trudeau and other government officials charging them with ignoring, brushing aside, and even insulting the nation's residents as they have protested. And then they got specific. Now, here's a quote from the letter, public letter to Mr. Trudeau and government officials. As ambassadors of Christ, whilst we respect your office as a public servant and honor the limited role of civil authority as a ministry of public justice, we do not hesitate to fulfill our responsibility as servants of the living God by unapologetically mm. reminding you that Jesus Christ is the Lord and King and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He sets up kings and pulls them down, the mighty from their thrones, and none can stay his hand. You are neither the king nor the ruler of Canada. <laughs> Both you and your colleagues are public servants sent for a short time to Parliament at our behest as citizens to govern under God in terms of the Canadian Charter and to seek a harmony of public legal interest. You do not grant people rights and responsibilities that are theirs as God's image bearers and a free people. And since you do not grant them, you have no authority to remove them. Stop, I mean, step back from the brink. Mm. Now that is what we're talking about. We talk about speaking with conviction. Yeah. It's a letter, so they're not shouting. There's no flames coming out of their, their eyes or anything. But it is very clear conviction about what's going on and what the church's response is. And I commend those Canadian uh, clergy for doing that. So we must have our convictions and be sure of them. We have to be refusing to back down, to recant, or to apologize. Because when we stand our ground, that's a sign to the opposition, says Paul in Philippians 1. It's a sign of their destruction. Now, hopefully, they'll take that to heart and repent. So it's a yeah. witness. But it's also a sign of our salvation, meaning this is what salvation is all about. Mm. We truly have salvation when we believe the gospel and we see that it must be proclaimed and, and used as a witness when everything in our culture is falling apart and is against the gospel. Well, it's a fight. You lose some, but you keep some. In John chapter 6, we have Jesus preaching a sermon in the synagogue of Capernaum. And he gets to the point where he says, now listen, you really want to have eternal life. You must eat my flesh, drink my blood. I'm the bread of life. You must, you must eat me. And he elaborates on that. And a lot of his disciples, not the apostles, but disciples who were following up to then were saying, boy, this, this, this is a hard saying. It's tough stuff. This is, this is start, this, yeah, this is, this is tough. Um, so uh, he says, uh, are you um, offended in this? And he goes on to talk to him about it a little more. And then John says, from that time on, many of his disciples left mm -hmm. and did not follow him anymore. At that point, we pick this up at John 6, verses 66 through 69. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's a great 
declaration of Peter. Mm. Um, we think of the Matthew uh, 16, you know, which we just read. You just read Caesarea Philippi, which mm -hmm. says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus commends him for that. This is right up there with that, but not quoted as often, simply because it's a polemical uh, context with Jesus, once again, arguing with people in an entire synagogue, mm -hmm. you know, and they don't want to follow him anymore. The thing is, these apostles were right there. They heard the same thing. I'm sure they were wondering, what does he mean by this? Mm -hmm. But they knew in the bottom who he was. Mm -hmm. So whatever it means, we'll figure it out, I guess, eventually. But we know for a fact, you're the man. Mm -hmm. You're the one who's the son of God. You're the holy one of God. You've got the message of eternal life, and we're not going anywhere. This is the conviction we need. After a witness, um, we don't want to weaken. We don't want to start second-guessing. When people come back at us and say, well, that's hard saying, you know, you've offended me. Um, no, we simply, like Peter says, Jesus is the one we follow, and that's how it goes. We're not changing. Mm. Um, what we say in... Uh, those times, uh, we might think, well, this wasn't our best shot, but it doesn't matter. God is in it. Uh, when we start second-guess ourselves, then we get convoluted. Mm -hmm. Always trust that God is in it. In the uh, Gospel of Luke 21, Jesus even says, when you have those times when you're giving a witness and you're going to be intimidated, I'll help you with the words. Be ready, but I'll supply you. I'll give you the words. Mm -hmm. And remember this. He can do much with little. Remember the story of the bread and the fish. So a good witness, even if it's only for 30 seconds, can have such a powerful impact when we don't apologize because it's a sad Well, thanks, Jim. And we've got a lot to think about. And I'm sure that there are questions or comments about it. So we'd like to hear those questions and comments from you. Please send your questions or comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, expectations all together at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment on here where possible and we'll always answer you. This has been Current Invention Christian Expectations and until next time, keep looking up.